Hello and welcome to Taiwan Talk. It's a show where we chat with people living in Taiwan and Taiwanese people living abroad. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio for this episode is Jenna Lynn Cody, creator of the blog Lao Ren Cha, spelled with English letters or pinyin, but of course meaning old man's tea, named for the patience with which the older generation sips their tea rather than gulping it down. The Lao Ren Cha blog itself is a cornucopia of thoughtful commentary on Taiwan's goings on and a veteran account of some of Taiwan's best tea, literature, travel, and cultural exports. But it might be better to hear about it from Jenna herself. So here's my chat with Jenna Lynn Cody. Uh, Jenna, thank you for joining me today. First of all, can you tell me a little bit about your blog, Lao Ren Cha? Uh, sure. It's sort of a catch-all for my thoughts on various issues related to Taiwan. And although I do throw in the occasional personal essay, I do try to keep it quite focused on uh, not just current events in Taiwan. I do a lot of looks at history and the literature from an opinionated, like editorialized uh, standpoint. And I do that because, you know, I think that a lot of these issues regarding Taiwan may not be laid out so clearly for people who don't speak Mandarin or don't don't read the local news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I honestly, I personally don't read a lot of blogs, but the thing that stood out to me about yours is that mm. you've, you've included so much variety of, of topics, uh, and you've clearly given a lot of fair thought um, to, mm -hmm. to everything that you, you talk about. Um, how long have you been writing it now? Uh, I've been writing it, and first, thanks. <laughs> nice to hear that. But I've been writing it since 2008. So it's been about 14 years now. Uh, I'd only been in Taiwan since 2006. When I started, even then, I'd lived in Asia before. I knew there wasn't a lot out there for the lone foreign woman, especially because a lot of the women who do come to Asia, maybe they're here on a fancy expat package. Unfortunately, more often than not, they're trailing spouses. So they're here because their spouse is on a fancy expat package. There's tons for them, but not sort of people who just come to look for a job like me. So it was very personal in the beginning, but I feel like I've changed focus. Okay. Um, so it might just be because I spend so much time in the audio medium, uh, but as mm -hmm. a blog, which is kind of the opposite of blogging, I guess, um, mm -hmm. as a blogger uh, in a world increasingly inundated with, with flashy new media and scroll type apps, um, do you see less people blogging nowadays or more? And how do you feel about the, the value of it in today's world? I would say that overall, slightly fewer, but the situation is actually improved. When I started blogging, I feel like there was a whole blogging community here. Um, David Reed or Michael Turton's View from Taiwan, um, Pashan, most of those are no longer in existence. Oh, man. That has improved. <laughs> and we're seeing some more like, you know, just off the top of my head, foreigners in Taiwan, attorney on a journey, Taiwan trails and tales. It's improved a lot, although I do think a lot of people who would have started blogs in earlier years went into YouTubing and vlogging. There have been some very good podcasts, uh, Formosa Files or Ghost Island Media's Metal, Metal Politics Taiwan. Oh, yes, definitely. But I still think there's a place for long-form writing, and writing has always been my preferred medium of expression. I also hate being on camera, so... That has something to do with it. But I think that you can explore more when you have no word limit. As long as you can keep your audience engaged, you can go a lot deeper with a written word and you can play around with it more. And there's just a lot of like production around the videos that I don't want to spend much time on production. I just want to like 
talk about the issues. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you want to get more to the point. Um, mm-hmm. So you've in, in making this uh, this blog, Laurentia, for mm-hmm. talking about things ranging from tea to hikes to politics um, mm-hmm. to uh, the female expat experience in Asia. Mm-hmm. Laurentia has a list of literature about Taiwan. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one book you feel best captures how you've come to feel in Taiwan, be it as a foreigner sure. or just as a person? I do. Um, I think it's got to be Shauna Yang Ryan's Green Island. I, I mean, it's easily the best novel in ta- about Taiwan out there in English. It was actually originally written in English, so the Chinese version is a translation. Oh, wow. Um, you know, it, it's engaging as fiction. So people who maybe find nonfiction a little dry can get into it quite a bit. And I love it because the family described in the story, they are fictitious, but they're so realistically described, they could easily have been real people living through Taiwan's sort of 20th century and martial law. And, you know, it's a very emotional book, but it never goes over the top. It has a lot of literary tropes, but it's not kind of stodgy or alienating the way a lot of literature is. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a fantastic book. For nonfiction, I quite like Taiwan's Imagined Geography, although I started reading Evan Dolly's Becoming Taiwanese, and that's also, I think that's going to be a favorite. So Awesome. What is Imagined Geography? Uh, so Taiwan's Imagined Geography is about how Chinese explorers, surveyors, and leaders viewed Taiwan from their perspective from roughly like the 1600s until I pretty much 1895. I have the book right here. I can just check, except I can't find it. So no, I can't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 1683 to 1895. So it's imagined because it's how those writers imagined Taiwan, not necessarily what Taiwan was actually like. So they talk about how, or she, uh, the author Emma Tung, talks about how the kind of Chinese view on Taiwan during the Qing dynasty was very colonial, actually. This idea that it was some integrated part of China is a pretty new invention and was not the typical view on Taiwan until maybe the late 19th century. Wow. Yeah. For resources, you've created a list of uh, of resources specifically uh, for women moving to Taiwan. As you put it, resources can be quite scant for female expats simply because there are more males here yeah. than female male expats. That is. Uh, what are some of the main issues specifically faced by expat women? Um, a lot of it is just daily life stuff. So, for example, I cannot buy a pair of shoes in this country. I simply can't because oh, wow. the women's shoes are too small. I have very large feet and the men's shoes are made to be a bit like narrow and long. So they don't quit, like quite fit my foot size. And that's just one example that anything from skincare to hair can be a trouble and it kind of wears down your life. So just the ability to like find things you need as a woman um, especially newer products for women, like let's say um, period cups, like diva cups or moon cups, whatever they're called. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to find that information. So you might feel like you don't have access to things that would make your life easier or better. And it does feel like a lot of, as a result, a lot of talk about Taiwan or the foreign experience in Taiwan is very much geared to the male experience. I mean, I remember reading once just a book review about somebody's memoir, and 
the book review is like, oh, it'll cover all of the elements of the typical expat experience, like meeting the local girl. And oh, I man. thought, like, excuse me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it just doesn't get talked about very much. It feels like there's only one expat experience that gets talked about, and it's not mine. And even actually, even in Chinese, like, can I, am I perfectly able to search, you know, stylists who can do Western hair in Taiwan in Chinese? Yes, but nothing is going to come up because nobody's writing about that in Chinese. This is, um, this is true. And as someone with yeah. curly hair, I, I feel your pain at least a little bit. There. Yes. Yeah. I have frizzy, wavy hair. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and do you, yeah. do you think it's become a little more balanced over the years or? A little. Not in terms of like blogs and like permanent online resources. I still feel like a lot of the stuff that's published is more international and targets those trailing spouses of, of well-paid expats, which no judgment, that looks great, but it's not my, my experience. <laughs> yeah. However, Facebook, of all things, has started to fill that void with groups, which kind of basically groups of women talking about women's issues and things we need. Mm. And I run one of those. So I run Super Awesome Taiwan Women. Oh, okay. And that's great. I did not yeah. find this in my cursory research of you, but I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I don't mention, like, I don't, miss, I mean, it's just a group that I run, right? Because there are several such groups, and a lot of them are just how to find X, how to find Y. A lot of them are very Tianmu oriented, which again is fine, but I'm not going to go to Tianmu for everything. I don't live there. Right. Um, and I wanted something where we can also talk about current events kind of vent our frustrations, not about Taiwan necessarily, but the world or a place that's more social justice oriented. Um, not that the other groups are bad, but there was something specific that was needed. So I started that one. Um, yeah. So you've also lived in India as well as China, correct? Yes. Okay. And and being an expatriate in any country often, often comes with its own strange set of challenges uh, and mm -hmm. hopefully paradigm shifts. But as someone who regularly reflects on the lessons you've learned on your blog and elsewhere, which lesson do you find yourself thinking about the most often? Sure. Uh, so to me, I think the biggest lesson or thing I reflect on is also something I talked a lot about in my own master's dissertation, which is critical cultural awareness. And um, it's basically the idea that it's part of intercultural communicative competence, which is a whole model for a type of language learning. It's the idea that in terms of communication, but even beyond that, the only way to really relate to others and communicate or make friends across cultural barriers is to be aware, not just of how things work in their culture, like the good and the bad, but like also your own. So yes. it's good not basically the idea that it's good not to take your own cultural standards as the norm or the baseline or some neutral state of things. Um, but the critical part of it also means you can accept that other do, others do things or think differently, but you don't necessarily have to agree with it. Um, like, for example, in Taiwan, when we talk about family, a lot of my local friends will, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't want to do this, but my parents want me to, so I'm going to do it. And... I would say, you know, you're 35, you have your own apartment. <laughs> you could just say no. Right. <laughs> and they'll come back and they'll come back with what I think is a really thoughtful response, which is, I know I can say no, but I also want to do things for my family. Like that's also a thing I want. So I'm choosing to do the thing that's not preferable to me because it's more important to me that 
they be happy and it's it's an acceptable sacrifice basically or an acceptable choice and i think that's actually a really mature and thoughtful way of looking at it and i respect that a lot on the other hand i'm not going to do it <laughs> so i say no to my par- my family all the time they frequently ask me about moving back to the us and i have to be like sorry no so I can respect and understand, but I'm not necessarily going to like change my life or change my own cultural outlook unless I find a compelling reason to, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, be mm. pragmatic, but also respect the uh, the decisions of others. Um, so you also work in teacher training now, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, as correct. someone, uh, as me, as someone who used to be a teacher himself, um, I need to ask, what have you learned from teaching teachers? Oh, that's very interesting. So... A lot of foreigners in Taiwan like to kind of rag on Taiwanese teachers saying, oh, they're good at all the boring parts of teaching English, like memorizing grammar or drilling and testing. And I think that they think those teachers don't know better. And that's simply wrong. And so what I've learned from training teachers, most of my trainees are Taiwanese. Sometimes foreigners take my classes and there are teacher training opportunities for foreigners, but Basically, um, the thing I've learned is that, no, the local teachers do know. Like, they understand a communicative approach to language learning. They understand the point of learning English, if you want to learn it, or learning any language, is to communicate in that language or to get something done in your life, like study abroad or travel, not to just take a test. They know that, and they, the... They're aware of it, right? And the only reason they don't do it is because at the end of the day, their learners have to take these huge national tests, like the mm-hmm. high school or the college entrance exam. And that has kind of a negative washback effect in that it sort of like affects the class that comes before it. And the teachers feel kind of pushed to teach toward that test. So the problem isn't the teachers. The problem is the test. I'm a big fan of assessment. I'm not a big fan of testing. I don't know how to get that attitude to change in Taiwan, and I'm not sure it's my job to get it to change. But, I mean, really, the the Taiwanese teachers are very thoughtful, talented, enthusiastic, and the issue is sort of like the thing that they're handed that they have to teach towards. So I would say basically don't think of it that way, especially because... Plenty of Western teachers or foreign teachers who come to Taiwan are qualified, but a lot of them aren't. And, you know, they come in, they get a job in a school, in a bushiban, and then you hear them over a beer, like, crabbing on about Taiwanese teachers. And I think, you know, you don't have to have lots of credentials to be a great teacher, but I don't know that you really have the standing to be criticizing, you know, Taiwanese teachers who've mostly actually done the work to get the teaching certification and they do know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any advice for teachers in Taiwan? Yeah. um, Get practical credentials. Uh, One can be a great teacher, you know, with an excellent, if you have an excellent community of practice teachers around you who kind of train you up, I wouldn't say credentialism is the end all and be all, but there are some really good ones. And a lot of people don't know about them, don't get them, don't think they're necessary because they see teaching as like an easy job they can get and not a real professional field. But the fact is, you know, in Taiwan, the Trinity Search TESOL, it's kind of like the CELTA, 
or the diptisol, the Tilek, which is the Teaching Young Learners um, Extended. I think the C stands for certification. There are master's programs, both local and through Framingham State or Teachers College, New Jersey, that leads, and the latter actually leads to a teaching license. There are opportunities in Taiwan. I would like to see more foreign teachers take teaching seriously, like see it as a real profession. It's not to say that, you know, new people with no experience or no credentials, like, should not get into teaching. I came in not really knowing much about teaching, but I decided to upgrade my skill set and do better. So I think some of the best teachers can be people who came in with nothing, you know, realized that they could sort of like reach a better level and reached for it. So I'd like to see more people reach for it. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences both here and on your blog, Lao Ren Cha. Uh, that I oh, noticed that ty- searching for it, you search for the the pinyin. Yeah, you search for the pinyin, Lao Ren Cha. <laughs> okay, because I, I searched yeah. for uh, the the Hanzi Lao Ren Cha, and I got a lot of results that weren't your blog, <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. um, I should probably do something about that, but at the end of the day, my blog is in English, and Lao Ren Cha is a pretty entrenched concept in you know, Taiwanese and Chinese culture. So maybe I don't deserve the top spot. In, yeah, in yeah we don't, we don't all have to um, win at Google. Yeah. Uh, so this okay. has been Jenna Lynn Cody sharing about her blog, Lauren Cha. Um, you, I will put some info in the description of the podcast. Thank you again for joining me, Jenna. Oh, thank you. And that's it for today's episode of Taiwan Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check out the podcast description for more info and links to the Lao Ren Cha blog. We'll be back again soon for more chats with interesting people in Taiwan. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tordomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.